You're listening to She Likes to Go Slow, a podcast that encourages people to slow down and listen as we get to know some friends and neighbors. And my podcast today is with my friend Chris Yamada, who I hadn't seen in years. We used to play in a Middle Eastern drum group years ago. Chris is a very interesting person. He's very spiritual. He's kind of a medicine man. He likes to play flutes and didgeridoo and do a lot of good things for the world. So we started talking about identity and also cultural appropriation, because when I was drumming with the drum group years ago, and play some of these Middle Eastern rhythms, I wondered sometimes when people from that culture watched us if they resented me, because in a lot of these cultures, women aren't even supposed to drum at all, much less be performing. So we were talking about coming from ancestrally kind of a homogenized background, not being able to attach ourselves to any ethnicity specifically. It's kind of a challenge sometimes knowing how to belong. So here is our podcast with Chris. Okay, so, so say an example of somebody in, say, my culture, which is mostly white, and they don't really have a real clear identity musically. So they go get an African drum, and they start banging it, and they, they really enjoy it. They go play at a bar and then say someone that's studied in African music or say a, a student, a college student who's very aware of their culture and misappropriation approaches them and judges them as being someone that's taking from their culture because say they're wearing an African headband and playing and kind of representing themselves that way. I guess that kind of thing does happen, and uh, I think it's good for that communication to take place, but it's also really, really healing for someone without identity to be able to play in another cultural identity. It's just how it's done. At what point does it become uh, exploitation or misappropriation or downright theft? Because it's the soul of a culture and it's the soul of a people. Uh, so if, if we're part of a soulless society that uh, doesn't understand itself and is hollow, it, it goes and takes. That's kind of the nature of the consumer technology society we live in. It'll just keep taking and taking. And uh, that kind of an identity, uh, if we confront ourselves and look at it, we don't feel good about it. Usually we, we realize maybe when we were children or something, we didn't have a good building platform for who we needed to be. Our ethnicity didn't support us. Uh, it had already been perverted through warfare and consumerism and uh, we never learned maybe what these people from Africa or something seemed to hold. We didn't 
we haven't, as white people, managed to grow up with it, maybe. So we're told to turn back to our culture in a, as a possible answer to our, our real problem in our society of identity and identity loss and stealing like uh, from other cultures. Uh, rather than appreciating what it means to be Germanic uh, or Celtic, or which I do appreciate. Yeah, so go back and, and talk about your background and how, how kind of cultures you've been raised in and learn to appreciate. Oh, my background. Um, I grew up, I was born in Santa Barbara, and uh, I was in a very ethnic neighborhood and preschools. I was the only white child. And I think that early uh, exposure to other races gave me a good feeling for for that that I still have. Uh, then I moved to Northern Idaho and uh, lived with my Japanese grandfather, and that colored my identity as well. But that was only for two years, and I moved. Well, that was Cascade, Idaho, and then I moved to far northern Idaho, uh, Sandpoint, and that was definitely a very white place, and I was called different kinds of uh, racial slurs now and then. And uh, eventually I learned martial arts and uh, kind of conformed to the stereotype a little bit of uh, maybe defending myself, but it kind of worked against me, that same stereotype. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As far it doesn't make you fit in just because you learn some how to kick people and you have slanty eyes. You want to fit in deeper than that uh, in northern Idaho. But what are you fitting into? You're fitting into maybe a culture that's not very developed either with uh, rampant alcoholism, low education. And uh, so I grew up in that culture and it wasn't musical and it was very white. And I was, uh, I didn't really, I'd say, do very well, neither did my family. And so I kind of blame it on, you know, being Japanese and and uh, what happened to the Japanese in the uh, World War with the concentration camps and stuff that it, it kind of harmed our fate uh, as, a, as immigrants. And uh, so there is, I understand why people would confront me playing different kinds of music because there has been real harm done as a, someone that's Japanese and white I also think of it as you can get it from both sides so uh, how do you navigate through the arts the music uh, well I think navigation tools come your way and uh, and people come your way that support you so when I landed in Boise, I got into African drumming. And it really helped me as a 18 year old uh, with a pretty shattered identity in some ways. And I, drumming supported me for a few years. And then I got into a didgeridoo and uh, that became an actual musical identity that people knew me as. And when I moved to northern Idaho, that identity was kind of what I hid behind. 
and how I'd reach out to people was through the didgeridoo, which people had no understanding of or idea, so it held a special place that people couldn't even judge at first. They'd just listen and, wow, that's neat. So, uh, like I said, finding an instrument no one understands at all might be one of the ways of navigating through the the judgment jungle of uh, ethnic identity and programming but then you you might not have an audience but if you're very artful possibly you will just because you're good at it but artful music that you don't have a lot of support for means you spend a lot of time alone or on the internet and on the internet you end up probably well music is shared on the internet so the, a person puts a video on youtube of egyptian flute and if you mimic it they're they might be thankful right so uh, the internet is its own culture i think uh, you're probably going to find more support on the on the internet especially because they can sell you things uh versus uh, say uh, i've played craft fairs in like arizona and some of the people were wouldn't even talk to you uh i won't say what cultures they were from uh, but they were clearly not into you as anything other than competition for money mm. so it wasn't a big circle of appreciation like a barter fair or rainbow gathering where everyone's together it was uh, money and feeding my people and uh well, that's part of the music industry, I guess. As a musician and as a creative, I just want to play everything and I want to be into everybody and everyone's into me. Tell me again what you were saying about um, playing the ditch <laughs> out, at the, uh, out in the desert at night. What oh. was that like? So, yeah, I've spent a lot of solitary time playing music. didgeridoo is kind of a solitary instrument for aboriginal people not all the time it's i guess it's one maybe they say it's the only instrument that people have uh, the indigenous people of australia uh, i think they have some percussion stuff and bull roars but so they definitely play with their tribe and uh, but an aboriginal man because only men are allowed to play traditionally would go out and play his didgeridoo alone maybe quite a lot uh, maybe until he developed uh, mystically uh, powers or powers came to him and so without knowing much more than that uh, I sometimes would set out with my didgeridoo and still do into the wilderness and I think that's the higher usage of didgeridoo rather than mimicking uh, um, techno music and so on uh, not that there's not a place for that, but didgeridoo came to me to to ground me into the earth, and it really did. It really took me a lot deeper into the earth as a living being that I should listen to 
and that if I did, I would understand. And uh, if I teach someone, I might encourage them to go play for a rock, uh, go play for a place and experience that sense of place and experience how this your didgeridoo fits into it. And uh, that might be all you really need. That's kind of what I found with students is once they go into the instrument, they no longer need the teacher, they need to go play. And uh, then they can come back and say, I made this song and I want to teach it to you. But I would say, well, take me to where you made the song if it's out in nature and play for me out there. And uh, we'll be part of that. And that's a healing. That's a coming home to uh, to and, and, and a creation of identity that we need. This area, Boise, is a part of me because, partially because I've spent time out in the sage playing music. I also do ceremonies and, and uh, you know, prayer and stuff, but music is a real integral part of being on the land uh, as far as uh, how do you access nature. Who do you play for out in the desert? Um, well, more and more I play for the, I've recognized that there are tribal spirits that are very active and uh, when I play I try to acknowledge them and listen to what, listen to them and and ask them if it's okay that I'm playing. Sometimes they're just angry because they're angry and others are friendly because they're friendly, they're good natured to people that they might watch people that have cell phones and laugh about it. They want to show you uh, where they died or something they like. Uh, they have jobs like herding deer. Deer woman herds the deer, uh, you know, water woman and so on. And, uh, if you approach them more consciously, you get a more conscious experience uh, as relational rather than as shocking. I don't know, not shocking, but there's a barrier in people that maybe should be there, but uh, I think Native Americans had a more fluid experience of physical and spiritual because when you're in nature a long time, you go into spirit without even trying to sometimes and have experiences. So. If you go out with a didgeridoo, say, uh, on the Oregon Trail or something, you might have experiences that are non-ordinary. And uh, usually I find if you put good energy into a place, it will welcome you back. And you'll learn about it. You'll have visions. You'll understand more what the place is and uh, what lives there. So I like to play for the human realm, but I also play for... With didgeridoo, I found I had an affinity for maybe butterflies. So I'd go out in the sage and play for the butterflies. Um, the instrument kind of sounds like an insect, so I kind of feel like I'm part of the insect world in the sage. Uh, if I play a deeper didge, I might encounter the water flows and the water snakes, the water nagas, what, whatever they're called, uh, that the natives would work with as well. So it's definitely a good instrument if you want to learn about the earth. It's, it's not the only instrument. Like I said, the spirits are still here, and they might more appreciate drums, rattles, singing. But uh, is that misappropriation? You know, you have to listen. I, I would say that. Listen. 
you know maybe listen to who's listening to you people will usually judge you but that doesn't that's not always wrong I think you just have to be good-hearted and put it forward whether you're out playing for rock or playing in a bar playing Egyptian music it doesn't matter you have to you have to be willing to, to take some criticism and uh, maybe things will keep opening up if you keep playing I guess and I only know you really from playing um, drums and flute and Middle Eastern stuff we've done and not seen you for a couple of years so it's great to see you back for the short time you're in Boise but well thanks where's your uh, music and spirituality taking you because I don't know you that well but I, I get an idea you're kind of a wanderer and go where you feel like you need to be or maybe where people need you to be well I guess it, it kind of takes me in two directions uh, I like playing on the street I want to go farther into you know sometimes street music and playing cafes and stuff and I imagine being in Europe or uh, I lived in Hawaii for the winter and I played there out in the jungle and um, people that people sometimes liked it and other times they didn't like bamboo didgeridoos that I made out there it's too stimulating yeah. or they thought it was gonna bring the wrong energy other times they really liked it and then the flute they didn't like Middle Eastern flute in the jungle they liked like pop music they liked uh, hand pan uh, and uh, drums so when you, when you look at your instruments you go where is this instrument going to take me some cultures are more probably interested in what I have than others I was hoping Western culture would be very interested but I think there are probably easier cultures that that are more appreciative of live music versus electronic mm -hmm. music uh, probably cultures that spend more time outside of cars maybe uh, going to festivals uh, say I had a, uh, a roommate that was from Kerala India and I started playing flute and he loved it because it reminded him of his home you know it reminded him of where he'd been there was no misappropriation energy it was thank you so much and he gives me a flute right wow. he goes and buys one and gives it to me <laughs> so that was a really good feeling as far as uh, as India loves flute I, I, I think they, they have a well-developed tradition so I'd like to go study a tradition actually go fund me to study a tradition that would be pretty ultimate uh, go go listen to the Turkish sheep herders play Kaval all day out in the in the hills uh, and see if it's kind of like Boise or the foothills here in, uh, or uh, go to Japan and listen to the Komuso play on the temple steps uh, I could see myself doing stuff like that with flute uh, but I'm open, you know, I think learning to appreciate different musics is a real discipline in itself. And some music is just easier to understand and enjoy. So as your ear develops, you can theoretically appreciate more from more cultures. So a nice tour of, I think, some of the bigger cities, you can find quite a few different kinds of uh, live groups. That would be a great thing for me musically uh, probably Germany or uh, I don't know there's there's circuits where uh, groups would go and play where there's many kinds of musics represented and uh, 
that's where I could probably make it too in some places. Uh, but like I said, another part of me really just wants to go out into the hills and canyons and play for the owls and the sage and the rainbows and the rocks. And that's good enough. It really is. You've done a lot of interesting things. I thought I saw something recently about a big event you did up at the the Crystal Mountain. That was a musical event. Um, this did that you use wasn't music a, for for like healing. What was it like? We were actually blessing some rattles. Myself and my medicine teacher Marcine. We we were checking on the mountain to see if it was still holding good energy that we thought we'd been a part of creating uh, because it's also been dynamited and uh, and there are people that would like to take a lot of the mountain's body itself away and we experience it as a very potent place to be and enjoy as it is so we were checking on it and we just did a mini ceremony um, to bless the rattles and I think I maybe made some offerings and played some didgeridoo for the mountain and for the spirits that live there. And uh, that's kind of what I like to do is go to different places of power or beauty that I know about and play some music. Uh, my last place I played with someone was a cave on the side of town here in Boise. And uh, they're putting a development right below it now, mm. where it was before uh, a nice uh, hill with nothing on on it. Now it has a nice flat grade, and it's been bulldozed, and there's no trespassing signs. So uh, sitting in the cave, looking down on that, wasn't the same. And uh, I imagine they'll probably put, they'll probably close the cave eventually, or it'll be, I don't know, it's probably not going to be what it was. So in this area. I'm visiting places while they are what they still sort of are. And it's kind of sad, but I still appreciate and uh, I appreciate the reweaving of my life force with this area, with the different places that exist in, th these places exist in a different time and they always will, but the overlay of society prevents people from even experiencing them and not too many people do so I guess Boise is where my my spirit feels a home especially with the birds of prey uh, the canyon and uh, it's a good place for my spirit to open uh, but the city itself isn't anymore so it's a something I kind of think of circling around and blessing now mm -hmm. we'll see but that's kind of what my spirit says, is circle around this place, bless, be thankful, and uh, then go to wider spheres of activity, other other holy mountains and rivers. Idaho is great that way, though. There's plenty to explore, and uh, people should, you know. When, when, it, when a mine gets created or a housing development or a road, it changes what's there, and the earth remembers everything so there's layers of memory layers and layers it's like an onion with different kinds of encodings and conscious encoding and unconscious events that replicate 
or loop over and over and uh, what do we add to it or what do we release from it I guess that's what I think about with playing music on the earth is am I adding something that helps and it creates more of a harmony and the animals are happy and the spirits are happy or is it creating a dissonance that's already probably being created with radio and machines and people not getting along and how do you think people could shift more to doing a little more of what you're doing where you show some appreciation and energy and time and music back to the earth and we're all um, kind of on a different vibration right now. How would you encourage people that they could maybe give a little love back to it, it maybe even if they don't play an instrument? Um, well, obviously getting out into the earth and places that, that stir them, which you'd be surprised. Many, many people can do that that have no sense of commonality Hunters are a good example. Maybe people that are out trying to kill wolves, they might still have their favorite place where when they're there, they feel a lot of love and joy. Uh, but then part of them is very destructive towards that very environment. So uh, I guess that's why I like using music is because it generally doesn't create a lot of destructive energy in a place. Uh, I think people do have their own way of accessing the deeper levels of of nature and that's a, something I've been thinking about is how do I share that people aren't gonna all act like Native Americans or or nor should they but those imprints are already in the land so they're aware of them and so they might feel very out of place in a place that might help them but they don't know how to they're too busy being their identity to know how to go deeper so as a as a guide myself, that's where I would bring a drummer, a rattle, or a didge, and say we're going to go deeper with by taking you into a different level of brainwave activity, and then also offering something to the earth, treating it as a living being, whether it's a prayer or some food or whatever. And most people need to release a lot in nature, so when you take them out, they have to detox. And so they need to be in a place where it feels okay to to experience that uh, release of emotion or sickness or and uh, there are places around here where they seem like they're created just for that and uh, other places where people who are dissonant shouldn't be and those places are for the people who have been purified already that's a native value is Native Americans. Not just natives, but I, I realize that they hold that value that not every place is for you. Some places are only for women. Some places are only for head men of different uh, parts of the tribe. Some places are only for ancestors. Uh, why? Well, I'm going to go find out why, right? So you go find out why, and then you don't feel good. <laughs> and uh, I've had that happen where... Later, when I'm going through healing, I realize where I was was not a good place. Other times, I would know it, right? I'd go home and puke or something. <laughs> oh, well, there was a massacre there. That's pretty common around here is uh, the Chinese people or the uh, natives or and also whites. They went through stuff that was just unbearable, mm -hmm. and they left that imp imprint and their skeleton in the land. And when you go there and you stand on their skeleton unknowingly, and you talk on your cell phone and you don't tune in, uh, sometimes that 
that kind of leaves a little something in you, not to make people afraid, but, but nowadays I actually think about what's falling from the sky into places, airplanes and uh, airplane refuse especially, and radiation, things like that. So I might go out and be somewhere beautiful, but realize that eh, it's no longer a pristine environment. So you offer prayers for that to happen, for the place to, to heal. That's all you can do. And sometimes you're showing how. Other times, all you can leave is your sentiment. But uh, it's better than nothing. I think most people, when it comes down to it, they want places where they can be that feel really good, that are pure, that remind them of something pure within them, and where they feel safe or uh, a non-conflictual state within. You know, I mean, just good air, basic things. But yeah, if you go out and shake a rattle, you you can enter into deeper levels of attention. And uh, there's a lot out there. And it's not necessarily for others. It's for the people who seek it. For those who want a bigger picture of the earth. Deeper identity. And maybe a deeper function than consumer or electrician or whatever. The deeper identity is something that usually there were priests or something set up, even amongst the native people, not everyone had the same level of depth in their experience. They usually got good at certain things, I think, uh, and they had value in a tribe, and they had a lot of experience through their arrow making that was rewarding and uh, helped them live and survive. And uh, So finding your identity through nature, uh, chanting and music definitely magnetizes beings it magnetizes spirits and brings them to you the warmth of your breath and the sound they will follow you they will come to you and listen so if you want attention you do that you if you want to interact with nature and the spirits then you do that if you don't then just be appreciative and walk through a place or be quiet and listen that's a different thing native people's they thought of their chants as something that people might steal because they, they held ties to power through their songs. And those powers could be for healing and different, for navigation, for bringing certain spirits that wouldn't come unless they were called, that lived under the earth or so on. So when you go out and do something like that, you have to be aware that they do listen. And that's a, a good thing, but it's also a thing to really think about. So I wouldn't say do whatever you want all the time. I mean, yeah, if you go out and play your rock guitar out in the rocks, maybe it's a good thing, right? But listen to where you are first. That's, yeah, listen. That's what I'd say. <laughs> You're listening to She Likes to Go Slow. And after talking with Chris, I went out to the desert and I played for the wind and the wind didn't seem to mind. If you have a story or know someone who does, please get a hold of us. We are on Facebook. You'll find us at She Likes to Go Slow or send an email to she likes to go slow at gmail.com. <laughs>